And welcome in. It's the weekend edition of the Doug Russell Podcast. Glad to have you along for the ride. And I'm hoping this podcast puts a smile on a lot of Brewers fans' faces. Maybe if you're a Brewers fan, of a, as they say, of a certain age. Uh, if you're maybe my age or maybe a little bit older, you definitely know who we're talking to today. And I want to tell you how I landed on today's guest. If you'll remember earlier this week... Uh, we brought you the podcast of my conversation with author Jim Crines. He's got a new book out called On Story Parkway, and it's story after story about what happened at the grand old ballpark that no longer exists. And after I got done talking with Jim Crines, and you should pick up his book On Story Parkway. It's such a, a great read. Uh, so many pictures that you've never seen before. I contribute to it, but that's not the reason that I hope you should go out uh, and, and get the book. It's beyond anything that I could have even conceived. I contributed a very small part to the book. Jim did two and a half years uh, the lion's share, and then some of gathering all of these memories from former players and former team employees and fans and anyone who really wanted to contribute to that incredible book, really the definitive history of Milwaukee County Stadium. Uh, but one of the things and one of the people that Jim told me is, you've got to talk to John Adam. You've got to talk to the longtime Brewers trainer uh, who started with the club right when they were starting to get good. In 1981 was his first season. He was with the team through the end of the 2001 season. So this is a guy who spent more than 20 years. Uh, the you know He was there for the closing of County Stadium and the opening of Miller Park. He was there through those great 80s teams. That, uh, you know, first in 1981 and 1982 that got to the playoffs and within a whisper of a World Series championship, then there were some lean years. Uh, 1987 was a roller coaster on Team Streak. Um, the Brewers really got terrible. Uh, not really telling any tales out of school, but I mean, they got really bad in the mid to late 1990s. So John Adam is somebody who's seen it all and someone who's a great storyteller. And that's what Jim kept telling me. Time out. He's a great storyteller. You have to have him. You have to have him. You have to have him. So right now we have him. John Adam, former Brewers trainer, joining us here on the Doug Russell podcast. John, I can't thank you enough for the time. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. My pleasure. It, it gets me inside the house here uh, in sunny Arizona where it's 95 degrees already and rising quickly. <laughs> well, yeah. it's, still, it's still a little <laughs> bit uh, chilly. I know that that's going to shock you. It's still a little bit colder. Uh, here oh, in Milwaukee. Okay. Uh, Jim and I sat outside at the uh, Collectivo coffee uh, shop right outside of McKinley Marina uh, when we did uh, oh. our chat a couple of weeks ago. But, um, y- you know, he was singing your praises as a great storyteller about some of those great Milwaukee Brewers teams <laughs> that, you know, some of those stories were so integral to the book that he wrote. Uh, how did you and how, how did you and Jim hook up in the first place? Right, maybe let's start there. Actually, yeah, that's a good good place to start. You know, as they say, start at the beginning. And so, um, actually, um, a mutual friend uh, and a very good friend of mine, Tony uh, Migliaccio, uh, clubhouse guy with the Brewers. Um, uh, Jim had uh, gotten a hold of him, and now I'm going back like two years ago. And in talking to Tony about you know, County Stadium and Tony telling him stuff about County Stadium. Tony said, I guess at the conclusion of their talk, hey, you know what? We had a trainer that was here for almost 25 years, 
he's got some great stories. You know, why don't you reach out to him? And so Jim did, and then it kind of took off from there, and we hit it off uh, on the phone, and and I was able to... um, you know, help him a little bit with uh, his book uh, in terms of, you know, I'm in contact with, um, you know, several of my old ball players. Um, you know, Greg Vaughn, Robin, Raleigh, Vuki, um, you know, a lot of guys. And uh, and then and then a lot of uh, guys from the 82 team, you know, Mark Brohard and Roy Howell and guys like that. So um, we just developed a, a friendship, Jim and I, and uh, it's just kind of grown. And now he's uh, written this, you know, written this fabulous book on Story Parkway about County Stadium. And uh, I, I just, you know, I have it in my hands as we speak. And uh, it, it just, I mean, I thought he did a fantastic job, uh, you know, talking about the history going way back when, you know, they came from Boston and the whole history of it and um, just, just a real thorough book about the Brewers now when and you, the Braves. When, when you leaf through it, John, one of the, one of the photos that you're going to see is a very young me sitting in Raleigh fingers. I, 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 I was going to, I was going to dog you about that. Yeah. You're in, <laughs> uh, and, and I'm looking, I saw the picture and, and of course it all comes back to me. And I, I remember Waldo's locker being on the corner there right near the shitters <laughs> uh, appropriately enough. And, uh, but I'm thinking that, picture looks like it was taken in the off season yes where the clubhouse is empty and uh maybe i don't know sully knew your dad or something you know our old equipment manager uh for the brewers uh, the late bob sullivan i'm guessing and you just had a picture taken there. It was a clubhouse sale. So, no, my dad did not know Sully, but it was a clubhouse oh, okay. sale that was in mid to late-ish December. So it was right before Christmas. Yeah. And, yes, mm-hmm. it was at County Stadium. And they opened up the, the the home clubhouse, which they don't do anymore. They would do it in the in the visitor's clubhouse. But they opened up the, the home clubhouse, and they had – I've got a picture of me and my brother standing in front of Robin Yount's locker. But they had a folding yeah. chair, like a shitty folding chair, in front of oh, yeah. Raleigh's – locker so i'm like yeah hell just take have a picture of me you know holding up the crap that i had bought i, I think like a two dollar batting glove or something like that uh, oh, in, yeah. in the clubhouse but that was the first time i was ever in the brewers clubhouse and i i tell you what man if they didn't close the place down that day i probably would still be there i did not want to leave it was so cool for a nine-year-old or however old oh I was. let's face it i don't care if you're nine or 59 if you've never been in a big league locker room clubhouse it's awesome and um that club out that that locker room at old county stadium was it was a rectangle shape i don't know if you remember it, it was I do, long yeah. and rectangle and uh raleigh's locker was on one end and robbins was on the other i i do remember that their lockers uh raleigh's was next to molitor's locker i do call that and yes we had my first couple years in the big leagues in the first, you know 81 82 83 i mean we had crappy chairs you know it, there wasn't much to it and you know fold out chairs you know what's the big deal you know and it wasn't really until tony took over the clubhouse duties because uh bob sullivan had passed away unexpectedly and i think in the off season of 85 and uh and tony you know much younger and um he really put a lot more into it as far as hey look we can do better in this we can do better in this 
the post-game food can be much better than what we had. And, and, and Tony really stepped it up and he continued to do so every year, every year. And guys really loved it. And, um, it made it a lot more comfortable, um, you know, and inviting than it had been. But, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, it was unique. Yes. Uh, the clubhouse. Um, it wasn't small, so that saved it. You know, what it lacked in uh, a lot of things, at least it wasn't a small, cramped, you know, at least by those standards back sure. then. Now they're all gigantic. You know, Miller Park is huge. Uh, but, um, no, it, it was neat. The trainer's room was average size. It wasn't overly big, but it wasn't, you know, small either. And uh, But players didn't... Um, their expectations were, were a little lower, a lot lower back then. You know, it's just like, Hey, look, they were happy to be there. And, um, as long as it was halfway inviting and clean and everything, and they, they were, they were fine. I mean, they were there, you know, it's very simple times then, you know, let's play the game and drink beer afterwards. You know, that, that was the mentality. What were some of your earliest remembrances, uh, of, of the, the characters that, you know, populated, that room, that clubhouse. Yeah. You know, I was, I was so fortunate because my first year with the Brewers in the, in the major leagues was 81. And so I go to spring training back in good old sun city, Arizona. Um, and so I'm brand new, but so is Simmons, Vukovic fingers, Roy Howell. Everyone's new. You, You know, that, group of guys were all new. And so, um, they were so accepting of me and, you know, here I was the youngest, you know, at the time I was the assistant trainer in 81, 82. Uh, but they were so kind to me and fair with me. Uh, I was the youngest trainer in the major leagues and, uh, they were great to me. I mean, they, that was a veteran team and they could have been, Boy, they really could have been rough on me, and they really weren't. And uh, and I appreciated that to this day. And um, but boy, they were characters. I mean, uh, we had a lot of old gris. You know, Don Money, who had been there forever, and uh, God, we had guys like Reggie Cleveland on the team. And you know, um, it, it was quite a bunch of guys. But the success um, that they enjoyed together collectively was so contagious and then it all culminated in 82 us going to the world series but we don't go to that world series if we don't make the biggest trade in brewer history probably in getting acquiring don sutton you know uh in the summer and don sutton just passed away this past off season yeah yeah and that was that that really hit me uh but yeah if we don't get sutton and he just he just stepped it up. He was just a big game pitcher. And then, um, so, uh, that, that was great. And it was, uh, disappointing that we never really pulled the trigger on another, you know, big blockbuster trade like that again, you know, um, you know, for the next 15 years or so, uh, it was disappointing because we had an opportunity again, I think in 87, to do it and 
ball club didn't do it. And that was kind of a wasted year. That was a year that team streak in 87, we won the first 13 games of the season. And, um, at one time that season, we were <laughs> Doug, we were like 24 and three. Yeah. And, and we, and I'll never forget that. Cause I think I remember leaving Anaheim and you know, we had just done a West coast swing and we were leaving Anaheim and someone said, fuck, you know, you're 24 and three. But meanwhile, the Yankees were tearing it up too. Not quite as much as us, but I mean, they were, they were nipping at our heels and I'm, you know, and we're all kind of, you know, no one's saying it, but we're all thinking in the back of our head, there's no possible way we could blow this. Yeah. And baseball being what baseball is sometimes. And then the twins won the world series that year of all teams. Uh, was it 87? Did they, was it, was it the twins in 87? Okay. Um, the, uh, the thing about it is it was like uh, a couple weeks later, Molitor gets hurt and that started the spin and, um, and we were reluctant to pick up a, a fifth starting pitcher. I mean, here we had our foot on everyone's throat and ownership would not pick up a fifth starting pitcher. It's got to be a missed opportunity. Oh, it was, it, it, you're being kind. It was, <laughs> we just blew it that year. I mean, just totally uh, because they wouldn't spend the money. I mean, here's your, I mean, you saw what happened in 82 when we traded prospects, our top prospects to get Don Sutton. And, you know, why not do it again? You know, so we can go to the World Series again. Nope. And we went to the All-Star break and I think at 500. Yeah, because there was a long losing skid right after that twenty-four and three start. If if memory yeah, serves, yeah, yeah, it was it was funny because I, Treblehorn had a great line, something like, "You know, we started the season and um, and he goes, this team runs out and runs thirteen in a row without me managing at all. I just, you know, I was just there and they're just playing." <laughs> and he goes. So then I get to thinking, well, I got to really start managing. And he goes, and then we lose 10 in a row. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> well, then Molitor comes back, has that amazing 39-game hitting streak. Hitting streak, yeah. yeah. How do you, I mean, th- because there's, what I'm really interested in are the nuances of the game and the personalities of the game. How do you keep the, this team streak loose? How do you keep, because I know that being, uh, the trainer, yeah, you, you, you're oh, in charge yeah. of bumps and bruises and all that, but yeah. it goes so far mm-hmm. beyond that because you're living with these guys every day for seven months. Yeah, we all live together. We fly together. We do everything together. And let's face it, I always say the best-kept secret about Major League Baseball is you get one off day for every 21 days on. So it's day after day after day after day, and you're together. I mean, so, you know, you know, everything about everybody, you know, and, uh, and you just grind it, grind it, grind it out. Uh, but the winning streak in April, when you do have several off days really made it not just 13 days, you know, when you think about a 13 game win streak, it it was that amassed three weeks. And I mean, we're riding this wave of euphoria, you know? 
And it was a great group of guys, you know, a nice mix of guys on that 87 team, a lot of young guys. And then you still had Robin and Paul. Uh, Cooper was still on the team. And um, it, it was really fun. Treble Horn was outstanding. He's, to this day, he's probably my favorite manager that we ever had. Uh, um, and I, it's in Jim's book. Uh, again, we refer back to sure. the book on Story Parkway. Uh, but the morning of that Easter Sunday, you know, the infamous Easter Sunday game at County Stadium in 87 when Rob Deere, you know, hits this monstrous home run to tie it, and then Dale Swaim wins it in the bottom of the ninth with a home run. and The cover of Sports Illustrated game. Yeah, exactly. When Rooster's on the cover. Yeah, when Deer's on the cover. So uh, uh, I think it's the only time in my life that Dale actually showed any emotion. <laughs> you know, Mr. Excitement, right. you know, he actually showed some emotion. <laughs> so uh, it, it was a hell of a game and the, the whole thing. But I'll never forget that Easter Sunday morning. Um, it's early in the season, and it is not just a beautiful day in Milwaukee, it's downright hot. It's like a July day for Milwaukee. And I'll never forget, uh, I get to the ballpark really early that day, and I'm going to go out for a quick run, jog. And for the first time in my life, you know, I I overdress to jog, because normally I just wear skimpy shorts and, you know, jogging shorts and a T-shirt. And I thought, you know, it's Milwaukee. It's a little brisk out because it was real early in the morning. I'll, I'll put on some long underwear. And I did. I remember halfway through the jog, I'm like, holy crap, I'm sweating my butt off, you know? And I passed Treblehorn, who's jogging around the outside of the stadium too, you know? <laughs> and and uh, so long story short, we come back and I go up to uh, Treb. And I said, hey, Tommy, I said, uh, I'm going to have uh, my kids. I had two little girls at the time, and they were back in Arizona. But before we broke camp, I uh, I had to make Easter eggs, okay? And Tony packed them in our luggage. When we broke spring training, we opened on the road. I, I remember we opened it in Baltimore, I think, or something. Anyway, so they've been in storage for like two weeks or so. <laughs> I hope were they cold so at I, least? Hell no. <laughs> uh, so uh, they were cold, warm, cold, warm. You know, they were in a trunk, you know, the old-fashioned trunks. Nice. You know, so they were on the on the belly of airplanes. They, they were everywhere. So long story short, Easter Sunday, uh, guys go out for batting practice in this beautiful day outside, and I look at Tony and a couple of clubhouse kids. Um, and I go, Hey, I got a bunch of Easter eggs and every egg has a player's name or his number on it. We're going to have an Easter egg hunt in the clubhouse after batting practice. Let's hide all these eggs. And Tony and I are like best friends, but Tony looks at me like, Oh, this is going to be a mess. (laughs) Especially with those eggs. Yeah. Well, it's going to be a mess. And, um, I've got to clean it up. You know, his clubhouse oh, sure. kids got to clean. You, you know, right. you know who knows what's going to happen. And and here's the thing: Why are you doing this? We're on a 
on a huge winning streak. Why are you going to mess with these players like this? Anyway, we hide all the eggs in the clubhouse, in lockers, in, in the towel bins. And, I mean, they're everywhere throughout the clubhouse, in the bathrooms, everywhere. So batting practice is over. The guys come up you know, from the dugout, as you know, Doug, up the ramp into the clubhouse. Before they can come in the clubhouse, I'm standing there. I said, hey, hold up, everybody. I just want to let you know we're going to have a big Easter egg hunt. So everybody, and I'm explaining it to you, and now I'm getting F-U'd. I'm getting get out of my effing way. You know, get back in the trainer's room where you belong. Uh, you know, all these things guys are screaming at me. And I said, I'm telling you, you know, you got to do it. You know, blah, blah, blah. You know, and there's a prize for the guy who finds it. Okay. So guys come in, and at first, like a handful of guys start looking around. Like, hey, where's my effing you know, egg? And I said, it could be anywhere. It could be in another guy's locker. Well, first about five or six guys start looking around. And then another few. And then another, before long, everyone's doing it. Guys are looking all over. And then you hear shrieks going, I found mine. And then I got mine. And blah, blah, blah. Okay, it goes on and on. Troublehorn's looking at me like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing <laughs> You know, you do realize, John, we've got a game that these guys got to get ready for, and Bob, and you've got, got an Easter egg hunt. Go- I said, uh, they'll be fine. You know, anyway, it all goes crazy. Three guys are unable to find their eggs. Surhoff, Molitor, and Yount. Okay, two Hall of Famers. And I, and I did not plan it that way. And, uh, and I'm like, you know what? I don't even know where their eggs are <laughs> because I, I didn't hide all of them. I mean, the kids did, you know, the clubhouse kids sure. did and you know, okay, we can't find them. We can't find them. Well, back then, um, you had to take infield before the game started and nobody likes taking infield. I don't think they do it anymore, but players were ticked off that they had to go out there and take infield and trouble horns going, Hey, look, you know, do it for the fans, guys. We'll just do a quick round of infill, blah, blah, blah. So when they go out for infill, we're searching that clubhouse for the eggs. And sure enough, the kids find them, all three eggs. Okay. I grab the eggs. I, I get the eggs. Now when guys come up from infield, I sneak out on the field. So here I am. 10 minutes before game time, 30,000 people in the stands. And I just run out to the field. I take Robin's egg. I run out to dead center. I kind of look at home plate from center field. and go, yeah, this is about where kid plays. I put it on the grass. Now I run to third base. Now, can you picture this? There's 30,000 people in the stands, right. you know, swilling beer and whatever else. And and now I, I'm thinking, well, I'll, I'll put Polly's egg right on top of third base. Well, you can't do that because the bases, at least back then, they were kind of um, pyramid shaped. Okay. So it, it kept rolling off, sure. you know. So I just put it on the inside of the base, so in fair ground, okay. if you will. Okay. <laughs> and now... And now BJ's catching that day, so I don't want to put it on home plate, and so I just hold on to his, okay? 
So sure enough, I run back, run up. Um, okay, now we're getting ready for the game. Boom, we take the field. Fans are going crazy. Here's this, you know, I think this was going to be our 10th win in a row, you know, Easter Sunday. They go out there, they take the field. Now, as they take the field, the umpires come down because they used our same ramp. They had to come through our dugout, if you remember. I don't know if you remember that, Doug. I do, they have yeah. To use I do. our dugout. Sure. Yeah. So I look at the home plate umpire, and it, uh, it was uh, an old American League umpire, uh, McCoy was his last name. And he was always a hard ass anyway. And I look at him, I go, hey, man, we got an Easter egg hunt earlier today, man. And Sir Hop never got his. And I don't know how I'm going. He just looks at me and then glances down at his ball bag that hangs on his hip. <laughs> I put the egg in the ball bag. Uh- you know, because a home plate umpire keeps one on his hip with sure. a handful of balls. In. Of course. <laughs> Nothing is said. Boom. He goes out. Now the, now the umpires go out on the field. Now now I tell the what guys aren't playing in the game who are in the dugout right now, I tell them, hey, man, I, I put Robbins out in center field and Paulie's is at the uh, – let's see how long it takes him to find the eggs. Uh-huh. All of a sudden, you know, Robin's playing catch with the left fielder and right fielder. You know how they throw the ball around out there. All of a sudden, I see Robin look down at the grass, and I see him walk over, pick it up, look at the egg, and then just stare in our dugout. (laughs) So now guys are waving to him from the dugout. So he takes the egg, and he just spikes it on the ground, just fires it down like a Gronkowski type of spike. Oh, that's great. So he does that. Meanwhile, I'm thinking to myself, nobody, no fan in attendance even sees him doing that. No, none. Nobody. No. Now I look over at Pauly at third, and Pauly's, you know, taking ground balls. You know how the infielders do before the inning starts, and he throws it across the diamond to – I don't think, uh, I think maybe Billy Joe Robido was playing first. Who knows? And, um, and all of a sudden I see Paulie look, look, glance at the bag and look at it again. And he sees his egg. <laughs> he picks it up and now we're waving in the dugout. He grabs his egg and fires it from third base towards our dugout. <laughs> It doesn't quite get all the way to the dugout before it hits on the ground and kind of just splatters all over. Okay. They're hard boiled eggs, you know, but okay. So now we're all laughing and you know, well, now the game starts. Yeah. Our starting pitcher. And here's the trivia question. Who started that game for the Brewers? Um, Yeah. You want to take a guess? Well, let's see. Nieves threw the no hitter and that was game seven. So this was game Ten, I think. Um, is it Hagera? No, no. I'll, I'll give you a hint. Right-handed pitcher, if that matters. Okay, Wegman. No. Uh, Eldred. Right, he wasn't there yet. Um, no, no. Yeah, I don't know. Mike Birkbeck. Oh, I, you could have given me a hundred guesses. I wouldn't. I, I yeah. I might have yeah. eventually landed on Mike Birkbeck, but he he was so far down yeah. on the list. Oh yeah, as well he should be. Uh, he started the game. 
So he winds up first pitch of the game. The leadoff batter for the Rangers fouls it straight back to the screen. Okay. <laughs> well, he fouls it straight back. Well, most veteran catchers, they don't even turn around for the ball. They just kind of put their, their hand back and the umpire puts the ball in their hand and then they throw it back to the pitcher. Sure enough, balls hit out of play. BJ doesn't even turn around to the home plate umpire. He just kind of puts his hand back <laughs> like he's asking for a tip, you sure. know? Right, right. The umpire, the home plate umpire, McCoy, glances in our dugout and just gives me this look like Jack Benny, like, well, <laughs> he drops he drops the egg in BJ's hand. BJ goes just instinctively to throw it back to the pitcher, and he kind of double pumps, like, what the heck did he put in my hand? It, and he sees it's his Easter egg with his number on it. <laughs> he he literally backhands the egg and throws it, you know, into the dugout. Oh, well, that's great. And then, yeah. And so that's how the game started. About two minutes later, the dugout phone rings. It's my general manager, Harry Dalton. Sure. And, you know, Harry, Harry, Harry was all business all the time, but he did have a, a sneaky sense of humor. He calls down on the hotline and dugout. I pick up the phone, you know, dugout, John, he goes, John, do you want to explain to me what's going on down there? <laughs> and, and he's dead serious. And I'm thinking, Oh shit. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know, cause this is a big game. This is a huge. And, and I go, well, you know, and, and I'm thinking, I'm not going to, I mean, why lie? I'm going to be honest with them, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say, so I said, well, Mr. Dalton, I'll tell you what, um, <clears throat> before the game, we had an Easter egg hunt in the clubhouse. <laughs> and so, uh, BJ never got hit and he goes, you know what? Forget it. And he just hangs the phone up. <laughs> well, at least you were being honest. Maybe you just wanted to see if you're going to lie to him. And he just wanted to know yeah, that you were going to be you know honest what? with him. That's, you know what? Knowing Harry, that could have been it, too. That's funny. And this is the same man that sometimes would call down. And this is how simple it was back then. He would call down to the dugout. I'd pick up, you know, dugout John. And it'd be a July hot, you know, hot summer game. John. Do you want to tell me what's wrong with Rob Deere? <laughs> and, I, and I'd say, well, nothing. He hasn't been coming in for treatment. And then there was a, there'd be a pause, and he goes, "That's what I was afraid of." Goodbye. Oh. Oh. And, you know, you know, you know, Deere was in one of his huge slumps. You sure. know, and uh, yeah, it was just much simpler back then, and uh, just silly stuff like that. You know, um, but that's what. Um, that's how it was back then, and uh, I think uh, it just made it so much more fun. So much more fun. Who's the biggest character that we wouldn't know was a huge character during your years with the Brewers? Who? Who had a That's sneaky a sense question. of humor? Who had, uh, you know, you you know the. The cut-ups, the, the Jay Johnstones, for example, of baseball. Yeah, the you know, we never really had that many, to be honest with you. We really never did. That's probably why it, it kind of fell towards me. You know, the silliness always came out of the trainer's room. 
Um, we didn't have any gigantic pranksters, if you will. You know, I mean, guys like Rick Manning, you know, they had a good time and they'd be real right in the middle of everything. But, you know, for the most part, you know, Robin and Polly, they stayed, you know, they kept it at a very professional level. You know, they enjoyed the silliness, but they weren't going to initiate it. Uh, you know, my first few years, you know, guys would set hot foots in the dugout, stuff like that. You know, you know, the Charlie Moores, Caldwell. When did that go away? Because I remember, you know, there were such colorful characters when I was a kid, you know, sitting in Raleigh Fingers locker in December, um, Mm -hmm. there there were those colorful characters giving the hot foots and, and things like that, or the bubble gum on the head or something like that. Yeah. Where did that, where did that all go? I think, I think by about the mid eighties or so it, it had kind of played out, you know, and it had moved on to other stuff, you know, it had just kind of moved on. Um, and you got to remember then a lot more, you know, back then too, there was baseball. It was only on t- television one time a week. Yeah. And then, you know, as ESPN came on and then now, Hey, there's a baseball game on almost every day, you know, maybe, you know? Um, and so maybe it, that kind of dampened it a little bit. Um, but yeah, ask things you. just kind of changed, you know, and, you know, I will say this, some of the good stuff is that, you know, you don't see the tobacco in the dugouts anymore. Yeah, that's true. Whereas before it was, I mean, guys were smoking. My first few years, we had packs of cigarettes in the dugout. So when a guy came off the field, Simmons or Vukovic or Gorman, uh, they could light up a cigarette in the runway and smoke uh, right before they go out on the on-deck circle. When you, yeah, the the first decade of the two decades that you were with the Brewers, two plus decades that you were with the Brewers, I uh-huh. mean, that, that was the heyday of Milwaukee Brewers baseball when they were really, really good, when Robin and, and Molly were having their Hall of Fame mm-hmm. years. And then Paul left, Robin retired, the team, I mean, those were some lean years. As the, oh, as, yeah. As the one who was kind of self in charge of keeping things as light as you could. How, how hard was that? How, how difficult was that when the, when the losses started to pile up? Well, it was, it was real tough because it, you know, it's, you know, you know, like everybody says, you know, winning is the best therapy that you could get. But when you're not winning, you got to really kind of pull back the reins on the joking around. Cause you know, there's a fine line between kind of comes off as no one cares. You know, you everyone's just screwing around. You know what I mean? Sure. And, um, but boy, I, I tell you when it, <laughs> this is something, I worked a brewer fantasy camp uh, two years ago. You know, Schroeder puts them on and sure. all this. So, and, uh, and, and, and I went back to work one uh, couple, you know, the last one they did because they couldn't do it last year because of the COVID. And so, and at the spring training facility now, it's really nice down the hallways. Um, they have a lot of, hey, here's in the 90s and here's the 80s. And, you know, these are all the guys that wore this number and this. And as the week went on in fantasy camp, I kind of noticed this and that. And 
all of a sudden it dawns on me and I'm think, thinking, man, did we have crappy teams in the nineties? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it just, it just like, holy criminy. After Robin left, it was just, you know, forget it. You know, I mean, we really, it was just garage sale. You know, I hate to say it, but it was just like. Oh, no, I was there. You know, it was bad. It was, yeah, it was oh, really yeah. bad. I mean, it was just uh, picking up guys. And, uh, you know, in, in fact, there was a few players I looked and went, oh, my gosh, I forgot we even had that guy on our yeah. team. You know, and it was, um, yeah, it, it was like that. Um, it wasn't, don't get me wrong. It wasn't depressing, but it, it was like, man, we were just treading water, you know, um, as a team, you know, um, everybody was trying, don't get me wrong. And, and we had some really good individuals here and there, but you know, it was, um, how hard did it make going to work every day? You know, I always made it fun and stuff, but yeah, um, when you're, you know, 19 and a half games out and it's, you know, July, you know, 1st, July, the, right? yeah, you, well, yeah, I was going to be kind and say maybe the 21st of July. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're just going, wow, this is, this is rough. This is rough, you know? And, um, yeah. Yeah. And then from my standpoint, you know, and then if you've got, you know, maybe, you know, four guys on the disabled list, you know, then it's like, Oh God, you know, we're thin enough as a team. And now, you know, we've got some of our good players are hurt and, you know, so yes, it's, it's a grind, but that's how it is for a lot of teams, you know, year in, year out. And when, you know, in the nineties too, you know, it's not like we've got much of a budget, so we're not going to be signing free agents. Right. And, uh, so yeah, it was a very trying time. Uh, for us, but um, you know, try to make the best of it. Mm. Whenever I talk uh, to guys that that used to play that don't anymore, they always talk about the one thing that they miss more than anything else, and they come back to the same word, and that's camaraderie. They miss, you know, yeah, being around absolutely. with the guy. How do you build that? How do, is that just born out of being as we were talking about a few minutes ago? You know, living together, traveling together for seven months out of the well, year, spending more time yeah. than you do with your own family. Absolutely, largely that that's it. Because you got to remember too that um, less than, you know, less than four guys, even, you know, of the players lived in Milwaukee year round. It wasn't like, you know, you know, it it was this huge community, you know, it it was, you know, Pauly lived in, you know, on the North end of town and for a, um, for about three or four off seasons, uh, BJ lived, you know, on the South end of town. And other than that, everyone left when the season was over. And, um, you know, I had more guys living in the Phoenix area. Um, I think that's probably still true. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I get it, you know, guys, the, the off season goes fast and, um, you know, you want to enjoy it and Milwaukee's lovely, but it's the only time you have to, you know, really do stuff and, you know, with your family or whatever. And, uh, you know, you don't want to be fighting snow all the time and the whole thing. 
After you left the Brewers, you went to the Expos for a few years, and then you did some things outside of baseball. Is that what you miss most about the game? Uh, yeah, I think I think the friendships. I think the friendships, the, you know, as much as we pissed and moaned about it, maybe that grind, that daily grind of just being with the, the guys, you know, it's, it's a team, you know, and that's, you know, it's funny because then I worked on the PGA tour for, you know, 10 years. And I, the first few years I'm thinking, guy, what is so odd about golf? And then it finally dawned on me is it's not a team sport. Yeah. It's an individual sport. No one can, you know, a golfer doesn't care what the guy next to him is doing. In fact, he wishes the guy screws up, you know, and, um, that's just the difference. Uh, I think I really enjoyed the team aspect of it. And from a, whether you're the, the athletic trainer on the team or one of the coaches, you're still part of that team in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's what everybody misses. That's what everybody misses about it. Um, you know, it's funny because at the end of every long baseball season, <laughs> I'm sure it happens to this day. It always happens. The last couple of days of the season, guys are going like, Hey man, um, let me get your address, you know, before, you know, before we leave, before we all split, you know, let me get your address, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I remember one year, Jeremy Burnett's an outfielder we had, you know, late nineties and he could be really grouchy. He goes, you know, uh, season ends in a couple of days, guys. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not going to contact anybody. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like something he would say. I could see him saying, yeah, that. I could absolutely yeah, see yeah. him saying that. Yeah. That's, that was Bernie. I mean, that, that's just him. what's the biggest thing that changed in the you know quarter century that you were in major league baseball from the very early 80s until after the 2000 i'm not sure when when you left the the expos but yeah you know in the early Uh, 2000s yeah i i would say a few things come to mind immediately obviously the money that the players are making um and from a you know from athletic trainer from a medical standpoint it's changed so much um, as far as off-season conditioning, in-season conditioning, um, having a weight room, having a workout room, um, actually having the organization spend money on the trainer's room, actually, you know, uh, really um, spending money on preseason physicals. Um, all this stuff has changed so much, you know, for, for the better, you know, um, the crazy thing about it is never in the history in the game of baseball have the medical staffs been so large as they are today. Uh, and yet you have more injuries today than you ever have in the history of baseball. So that's kind of weird. Yeah. Why do you think that is? What's that all about? Uh, I, I, I don't know. You know, there's half a dozen different theories on it. But, um, I mean, you've got a head trainer, an assistant trainer, uh, a third assistant. You've got a physical therapist. You've got a massage therapist. You've got a strength conditioning guy. 
You've got an assistant strength committee. You've got an intern. You've got, you know, a chiropractor. You've got a mental coach. You've, it's just like, come on. And you still have tons of injuries. You know, you've got, uh, you know, throwing labs. You've got, you know, a hitting coach. You've got an assistant hitting coach. And it's just like, is it any better? You know, I mean, yes, yes, it's different. Yes, many things are improved. But, you know, let's look at it from a business standpoint. You still have a lot of high-priced players that are injured and you haven't figured it out yet. You know, so I don't know. I don't know, you know, like, you know, the old fashioned guys go, they they work out too much or they're getting too strong or I don't know. Hmm. I don't know. Who do you still stay in touch with from those old Brewers teams? Um, Robin, you know, Robin, Buki, Vaughn, BJ, Brian Banks, um, Treblehorn, Garner. I mean, all those guys I just named, uh, Mark Brohard, uh, all those guys. I mean, I I must email or text them pretty much every other day. You know, whether it's just silly emails or silly texts, you know, we do keep in touch. How's Treb doing after Bo passed? I think he's doing okay, you know. Treb is a very unique individual you know he really is he's he's a you know he he, there's so much of him is always going to be the teacher in him you know the bit of academia and that's what made him different than most baseball people you know um but yeah treb was always great i I really like treb you know uh but he was out here also most of the year in uh, the phoenix area as does robin uh, that was actually going to be the last thing that I was uh, going to ask you as as we kind of begin to to wrap this up a little yeah. bit. Tell us, you know, Brewers fans remember the name John Adam going out there and checking on the bumps and bruises during games and whatnot. But uh, you told me before we started uh, that uh, after, uh, and you just mentioned a couple of moments ago, after your 20-plus years with the Brewers, went to the Expos, and then you did some golf. Catch us up. What What have you been doing since? Uh, well, I just I just retired about a year and a half ago uh, from the PGA Tour, um, and I'm just now. I have two very successful daughters. Uh, one's in medicine, and one's in. Uh, um, let's see. Let me get. Do they still make hard boiled eggs. Are they still making hard boiled uh, eggs? <laughs> you know, I think they can both still do that. Okay. Yes, <laughs> yes, they can both still do that. And now I'm hiding eggs for their kids. Ah, uh, grandpa. Yes, yes, and so. Um, but yeah, I uh, uh, I'm just enjoying my three grandkids, and uh, I just love doing that. And I'm um, when I'm not doing that, and they're exhausting me with that. Uh, I'm working out. I've always worked out a lot, and so um, you know, I'm doing laps in my pool, or I'm um, uh, lifting weights. Um, I'm I try and hike every weekend with a buddy of mine, a physical therapist buddy of mine, who I worked on the PGA tour with. 
who lives here local. So we'll go, we'll do Camelback Mountain or Pinnacle Peak, or we'll do, you know, every weekend we try and do one, one trail, one hike. And, uh, so I just try and do stuff like that. And, um, uh, that's what I'm doing now, and I'm just really enjoying it. And maybe helping Schroeder out at one of those fantasy camps one of these days down the road again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, Billy and I, I, he's another one that I should have mentioned in that group. Yeah, I mean, we text, you know, a couple times a week also. Uh, but, yeah, I, I, I'd like to do another fantasy camp if, if they hold one. You know, who knows with the COVID um, how they're going to do it, but, um, but I, I'd be, you know, those are fun to do. It, it's funny, you know, you touch on that and I'll, I'll just mention this in doing this last one, you know, several of my old players are the instructors there. So I've got Jerry Augustine, you know, Jim Slayton, uh, Jeff Cirillo, uh, Vaughn, you know, guys like that. And it's funny, almost every day at that fantasy camp, one of them would come through the trainer's room, you know, and I'd be treating one of the many, many campers that had an ache and was injured. And they'd, they'd say something out, and I'd look at them, and they'd look at me and start laughing, and they go, don't you remember? You used to say that to us all the time. <laughs> and it all I, comes full and circle. And I'd look at them, yeah, and, and I'm going, oh, my God, I forgot that when you said it. I, I thought to myself, boy, that sounds familiar. And they go, yeah, I used to say that crap all the time to us. And he goes, and the, these players would say, and I say it now all the time. And I went, <laughs> oh, boy, that's, that's scary that I had that much influence on you that you would uh, continue to say silly things like that. But just, you know, hey, if you got them, smoke them, guys. Or, Absolutely. You know, oh, that's great. Yeah, Augie's a good friend of mine, too. I haven't, I, I actually owe him a call, owe him a text. But, uh, yeah, I, I can see him saying that with his Kiwani accent. Uh, uh, oh, my God. How strong is that cheeser accent? I, I guess that's another thing I, I, I miss is the simpleness. You know, I grew up in Los Angeles. So for a, a guy, you know, a young trainer from Los Angeles going to Milwaukee, I mean. You and, you had Gant- and, and you had Gantner and Augustine on those, uh, on those oh, early teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah two, two cheesers. And. And I'm just like, oh, my God. And and we had a lot of California guys on the team, so we'd always make fun of them. So, you know, Robin's from Southern Cal, and so it was Brohard. And, you know, uh, Roy's from California, Roy Howell was. And uh, and we would just laugh about stuff like, like, one of, uh, I might have even been Robin, um, said, yeah, I, Johnny, you wouldn't believe what happened. I had to pick up, you know, I, I went through the drive-thru, whether it was McDonald's or whatever, and he goes, uh, you know, I'm getting hamburgers for the kids or something. And hey, what would you want to drink? And he goes, "Well, okay, well, I'll take an iced tea." Oh no, it's out of season. There's no iced tea. <laughs> and Robin's like, you know, he's telling the story to me, and I'm going, "Oh, those cheesers, they don't know." And he goes, "Yeah." He goes, "Have you ever heard that there's a season for iced tea?" And meanwhile, Gantner's listening, and Gantner's like. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's just a season. You And so we used to just get on Gantner all the time about it. And, and, you know, whenever we'd have a rain delay, everybody would be ticked off, you know, so we're, you know, our rain delay, we're in that club, you know, clubhouse in the County stadium and Gantner's the only one going, Oh yeah. Yeah. The farmers need it. Yeah. Yeah. We need this rain. 
Yeah, my my grass at home is getting brown. I said, you know, hey, Gumby, here's a suggestion. Spend some money and water your grass. Did you ever think of that? You know, and he looks at you like you have two heads. Sure. Like, oh, oh yeah. Who, who does that? Why would you do no, that? No, no, no. It, it's just, no, no, no. You just do it naturally. It, when it rains, that's when your grass gets water. If it doesn't <laughs> rain, it doesn't get water. And, and, you know, guys from other parts of the country are just looking at him like, no. No, it doesn't uh, work that way, Gumby. Uh, and, and anytime yeah. you get Augie going on Gumby, that's, I mean, for me, that's oh, comedic gold. Oh, yeah. Because because Augie's accent gets thicker. Yeah, it does. Yeah, the, the, the <laughs> Kiwani. Yeah. And then, then ending every sentence with the word yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's still raining yet. You know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just, I, I we laugh about stuff like that and but but i i miss you know god i i still miss you know the restaurants in milwaukee some of them and uh you know places you know that we used to go and uh yeah it, it's you know kids said at the you know robbins had a great you know he did, didn't talk much when he played but when he did it, it was it was good stuff and, and and i remember him saying one time to a younger player and he goes you know man this is a milwaukee's a great place to have a career yeah. And I thought to myself, you know what? That's an awesome thing to say. Now, not everyone feels that way. You know, if you're a guy that has a huge ego and wants his picture on the cover of magazines, yeah, you're probably better off going to L.A. or New York, you know, or Chicago. But it was perfect for Robin. It was. Yeah, he it, loved it. it. It suited it suited him really, really to a T. And you know, you come back for, you know, the Brewers on Deck events that they have at the end of January every year, and he's like the Pied Piper. Everybody wants a piece of Robin because he's still and will forever be so beloved uh, here in the uh, city of Milwaukee. John Adams. And, 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 oh, yeah, go ahead. And he no, should no. be. Oh. Yeah, no, no, he should be. I, 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 this brings me up a story about Kid um, real quick. You know that he was almost, at least his last eight, nine years with the Brewers, he was almost always one of the last guys to get to the ballpark. For home games, and he 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 get in, you know, just all by himself, you know, just just you know, walk in the clubhouse, you know, just nothing, you know, bells and whistles about him. Just go go to his locker, drop some stuff off, change his clothes real quick, come straight in the trainer's room, get his ankles taped, you know. And I can't tell you, Doug, how many times he'd get on the table. I'd look, both feet, the bottom of them are just black or green. And I know why he's been playing with the kids all day. Oh yeah. In the backyard, in the backyard. And he literally, you know, it's like, Oh, I got to go to the ballpark. I I have a baseball game and get in the car and (laughs) say bye to the kids, say bye to Michelle and get to the ballpark. And Hey, Johnny's got to take my ankles. And then, yeah. Okay. See ya. Bye. It it was, wow. He was able to, and I always say this, that's one of the hardest things to do, I think, especially for a big-name player, is to simplify things. And he did that so well. You know, he would keep things so well. And um, and such a good guy. He would do so many giving things that no one knew about. And I'll tell you what, I had, at the time, I had, my two daughters were just little, little girls. And, um, I was trying to figure out 
where I was wanted to live. And, um, and I thought, well, maybe I should live in Milwaukee all year round, you know, maybe that would be a better professional move and the whole thing. So in 86, no, 87, 88, 89, those off seasons, Mm -hmm. I lived at Robin's house. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, well, in the off season, and then when he and Michelle and the kids would go back to Arizona and, sure. you know, to their, to their house back here. And I'll never forget that for 87, um, you know, I was going to do it. And I said, uh, one time in a quiet moment, I said, Hey kid, I said, um, let me know, um, you know, how much I got to give you, you know, for living at your place every month, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he just looks at me and smiles and he goes, are you kidding? Hey, man, you're doing me a favor. I need somebody in that house to take care of it while I'm gone. That's great. So, you know, and he spins it, you know, to make me feel, sure. you know, not so obligated. And and he goes, oh, no, Johnny, you're doing me such a big favor. Hey, man, just do that. And, and could you do me another favor? Could you just... Um, you know, until it gets really bad, you know, with like two feet of snow, could you just take my vet out and drive it occasionally too? <laughs> yeah, I think I can handle that. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not a big, you know, back then I wasn't a big car guy, but I'm like, okay, I'll drive it around the block a couple of times, you know, and, 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 and to be honest with you, that, that's really all I did was just drive around the block a couple of times, sure. and, you know, but that's the type of guy he was. You know, he was just like, oh, no, you're doing me a favor. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, yeah, it's funny. I I had to call Rob about something else, and it was car-related because I told him, hey, I, I'm thinking of getting a Porsche uh, in a couple of months, and I know you know a lot about cars. And so we – but we were laughing so hard on the phone, uh, a lot like 20 seconds into the conversation. And all of a sudden he goes, he goes, you know, Johnny, he goes, when I called you up, when I got your message and I called you, he goes, I knew I would be laughing really hard. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I said, yeah, I kind of thought that too. I said, but, uh, it's always good to talk to him because he's so humble and just, just, he cares about what you have to say. You know, he's yeah. not. You know, gonna, gonna, it's never about him. It's, it's, he's always listening. He talks more now, Doug, than he ever did when he played. Wow. Yeah. Cause I don't remember him as a, as a vocal guy. No, 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 no. He, he enjoyed himself more. Like when you think back on those 81, 82, 83 teams, when he was among the guys, he really excelled and he enjoyed it. You know, he's not too keen on, you know, people looking at him and he's the one that always has to do the interviews and all that crap. That's not him. That's not him. Yeah. You and know? there were five Hall of Famers on that 82 team. So there was plenty of talent to go around. Yeah. Yeah. There, there really was. And even the guys that weren't Hall of Famers, uh, they, they, they like that spotlight. <laughs> so Robin was Robin was fine with them getting that. Yeah. Yeah. John, this but has been anyway. so much John, thank you so much for the time. This has been so much fun. And uh I, I feel like 
you know, I, I could probably sit down with you and, and talk to you for hours, and I don't want to take up, you know, so much of your time, but this has been such a, a great stroll down memory lane, and I'm sure our listeners uh, who, you know, lived and breathed uh, Brewers baseball back in those early 80s days, I'm, I'm sure they're feeling the same thing. This has been such a, a an incredible stroll down memory lane, and I can't thank you enough. Oh, my, my pleasure, my pleasure, and, and just nothing but fond memories about County Stadium, about the city of Milwaukee. Um, you know, my two daughters, um, to this day, they they always bring up little memories that they have of going to the to the ballpark, you know, the stadium, or you know, going to a park, or going to the zoo there, or you know, little things that they remember about Milwaukee and. Um, so it, it's 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 nice that it still is in their memory also. But I I, I love that ballpark, you know, for all of its uh, nooks and crannies and weirdness to it and the smell to it and everything. <laughs> it and, did uh, have its own it smell, out. didn't it? Oh yeah, oh yeah. It, it, but you know what? Every ballpark does. Yeah, that's true. You know, every ballpark has its own smell. Um, but uh, you know. Um, you know, that scoreboard was just so bad at County <laughs> Stadium. It was so bad. And I'm glad I'm glad it's mentioned uh, in Jim's book, too. They do a great job of talking about the history of how we got stuck with that white elephant and the whole thing. Um, it's really good. It's it's really good. And for more of John Adams' stories uh, on Story Parkway, Jim Crine's book that we were talking about with uh, the author himself, uh, earlier in the week, uh, just go pick it up and 660 some odd pages of, of yeah. just some great, great storytelling. And, and John Adam, I know that you were uh, so integral in what Jim was talking about in that book and, and provided so much color to that book uh, as well. That's why you have to talk to John. You have to talk to John. I'm so glad I talked to John. <laughs> <laughs> well, good. And, and I'm glad we got a chance to talk to Doug and, uh, and again, I, I'm you know what I'm happy for our friend Jim that he's having so much success with the sale of this book, and um, and I, I really think the book was necessary, and it's going to be um, you know it's a book you can read at the start of the season, during the season, at the end of the season. It, it, it's a great book with great great uh, stories in it that no one's really you know Jim Paskey tells a story in this book about Plesak. That's hilarious. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, you know, to do with the Cecil Fielder home run that went out of the stadium. Sure. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, uh, they, there's just a ton of good stuff in there. And, um, so, um, I hope everybody enjoys it. John, thank you again so much for the time. I okay. appreciate it very much. Thank you, man. Take care. Thank you. There he goes. John Adam, former Brewers trainer, joining us here for a special edition of the Doug Russell podcast. And I I don't know about you guys, but I listen to podcasts when I'm like mowing the lawn or doing something, you know, driving to work or driving home from work. That's generally where I listen to most of my podcasts. And this was more than an hour as I look at the clock. This was more than an hour. And uh, hopefully whatever you're doing, if you're Again, a longtime Brewers fan, this maybe cut your drive in half or cut it down a little bit, maybe made mowing the lawn a little bit more enjoyable as well. I can't thank John enough for being so generous with his time. Thank you for listening. As always, you can hit us up on our socials. You can find me at Doug Russell Pod on Instagram and on Twitter. Uh, you can find us on Facebook. You can find us on YouTube as well. For all of that, including all of our past shows available for a free download, you can find us on our website, www. Www.dougrussellpod.com. Again, 
www.dougrusselpod.com. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Hope it's a good one. The weather's starting to turn. It's finally starting to get warm. Masks are being thrown away because people are getting vaccinated. It's going to be a great summer here in the state of Wisconsin. And wherever you listen to the Doug Russell podcast, you know, we've gotten... You know, downloads from Australia. We've got downloads from five continents so far, by the way. And uh, I think we're now in Saudi Arabia is what the uh, analytics tell us as well. So wherever you listen to the show, hope you're having a great weekend. Hope you're having a great time. And uh, hopefully today's show brought a smile to your face. That's it for us. We'll talk to you over the weekend. And uh, we'll see you on Monday as well right here on the Doug Russell Podcast.